This is UMCSEE Ministry on the Cutting Edge, a podcast of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. Each podcast features leaders from around our annual conference and the wider connection, sharing innovative and inspiring ideas for ministry on the cutting edge, ideas worth sharing. I'm Gary Shockley, Director of Equipping Vital Congregations, and on our very first podcast, we're talking about making meaningful connections between church and community during this viral pandemic. How do we touch the lives of the people around us when we are sheltered in place, practicing social distancing? What are some of the ways we can bridge the gap and offer love, support, and hope to our neighbors right now? Joining me on the podcast today are leaders from two local churches who are known for their innovative approaches for community engagement, especially in this challenging time. Pastors Chris Sledge and Deb Port are leading the Journey United Methodist Church, a multicultural new United Methodist Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Journey celebrated its first birthday anniversary on April the 26th. We also welcome Matt Lake, who is the lead pastor of First United Methodist Church, which is an urban congregation in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So welcome and thank you all for being with us. So this is an unprecedented time for the church and the entire world, one that has required a massive amount of change in a very short period of time. Probably the most immediate change that hit all of our churches and especially its leaders the hardest was the closure of our worship spaces. Prior to COVID-19, almost everything was geared for worship and ministry inside the building. And suddenly, that wasn't possible. So, guests, tell me how your church has navigated through this and how you do worship right now. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Gary, uh, for the invitation uh, to be part of uh, what you all are doing uh, in this podcast. And so I think for us at The Journey, uh, it was actually a pretty um, quick transition for us. We actually... Um, before the bishop asked all of us to close our churches, we actually, the week before, um, uh, moved all online. Uh, and that was actually a pretty flawless process for us. Um, we have a pretty younger, uh, more technologically kind of advanced congregation. And so we were able to move there. And uh, for us, we kind of try to simplify what is the core that we want to happen in worship. We knew that uh, meeting a person, we could do a lot of more bells and whistles, but, but we knew that for moving in worship, uh, moving online, how could we kind of simplify and, and do it? So the first couple of weeks, we actually moved to our offices uh, so that we could have kind of a closer up view and a little bit more of just kind of a, a, a authentic kind of way of ex expressing our worship. Uh, but even the last couple of weeks, we moved to our sanctuary and just been able to really share in that. And so we go live every Sunday morning. We don't pre-record. Uh, and we kind of have a, a small team of five people who gather every Sunday morning to uh, worship people. Um, I'm there and two kind of tech people. Uh, and, and Deb kind of pre-records um, a, a welcome every week and any kind of additional elements that she can share from her own home. Uh, and, and we kind of move in a little bit simplistic kind of ways. And uh, we've actually found it to be really engaging. And one thing that we take really seriously is um, Pastor Deb, every week, she is kind of uh, live and uh, engaging kind of via uh, a social media on Facebook. And that has been one of the huge successes. And even this past week, um, I was preaching and, and afterwards I saw that she was asking great questions that I wasn't even asking in my sermon, but she was asking and, and there was such a strong response. And uh, so I think it's been a great kind of tag team uh, of kind of the worship uh, piece uh, in particular. 
Uh, and I think the last thing I'll share, and then I'll let Deb share more of her perspective, is um, we try to keep a consistent flow to worship every week. That, that uh, there's a consistency of every Sunday morning, 9.30, you'll experience um, this new kind of simplistic way of doing worship. And, and we try not to have too many surprises um, as to create a kind of a sense of stability for people uh, to share and worship every week online. And I think the only thing I would add to that, um, one really important thing as we are doing our video and everything is not to have static images, that it's important to have multiple camera angles to have, like I pre-record mine, so it, it's a different face, it's a different voice, um, attention spans, as we know, uh, we always think of short attention spans for kids, it's true for adults as well. <laughs> so it's, it's providing that engagement, even as Chris said, when I'm commenting in the chat, it's having that engagement on top of what's happening, uh, allowing us to multitask. We also uh, had to think through some things like our connect cards, they can no longer be in person on a piece of paper. So making all of that virtual um, in that way. I also just want to mention um, what we normally do on a Sunday when we're together is kids have their own worship outside the sanctuary. And so it was important to also think through as a parent with four kids at home, which I'm sure you'll hear in the background at some point during this, um, I have to send my kids out of the room to engage in church. Like that's just where we are. So we also release on Mondays kid lesson videos for different ages and have uh, resources available online for them so they can still have worship. Awesome. Awesome. Matt, what, what can you add? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, it's really good to be with you all this morning. And uh, one of the things that's really fun for me in this is just even listening to Chris and Deb and learning from them. I think we're all in this time of experimentation right now. So it's fascinating to listen to the, a little bit of the journey <laughs> with Chris and Deb on their journey uh, with their church. Uh, because for us, uh, we, we are at a slightly different place in terms of how we do Sunday morning, but I would say we've, we are experiencing some of the same things that they just indicated. So for us, we, we also had to pivot very quickly, and I'm super grateful being a non-techie person. My appreciation for those who have those gifts have gone up significantly, uh, but because of that and because it was not reliant on me, we also were able to make a fairly quick pivot, and I'm really grateful for that. What we decided to do was go with a pre-recorded service version. And the reason for that, one of the main reasons was a very logistical one. And that was when we were doing the live, uh, the live experience. And, and for us on a normal Sunday morning before all of the pandemic things occurred, we would gather for worship physically and have an online presence. However, when there get to be too many people online, bandwidth issues become an issue. And so we were expecting that there's only going to be more people online since we can't gather physically anymore. And we were afraid that with even more people online, we, we just did not want to take the chance that the technology would not work. It was very important for us to offer a, 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 a positive high quality worship experience. And when I say that, it is not to do a production. I wanna be really clear about that, but it is an opportunity to make it as high quality as possible. So for us, we chose to go the pre-recorded route. And uh, similar to then Deb and Chris, we have a number of online hosts each morning, each Sunday morning to interact with folks. And one of the things that's been fascinating is we've seen our engagement and interaction on our online chat 
skyrocket compared to what it had been before. Uh, and so that's been one of the blessings in this time for us. The other thing is that by doing the pre-recording, it does allow for a higher uh, experience. But I say that again, not on the production end, I would actually use the word, it allows for a more intimate experience. For example, when we were doing our online uh, opportunity before the pandemic, everything was from a far distance. It was sort of this one large picture. It was pretty static. There wasn't a lot of change. Now we are literally able to bring you up to the musicians, up to the, the speaker, up to those offering prayer, up to those working with kids. And again, similar to Deb, we've worked pretty hard to include a lot of elements of our church. So on a normal Sunday morning, uh, there is a children's moment uh, that, are, that is there. There is an opportunity for our families to work together and, and to worship together in that way. Um, and then also, like they mentioned, we've, we use a, a church online platform in which we really encourage people to fill out the communication card, uh, the connection card, I should say, the giving opportunities, all of those things. And then one more piece that I will add is one more, when we first started doing this, we were trying to do a couple different services a week that reflected the different styles that people worship in here at First Church. We actually made a switch with Easter and we're gonna continue this for at least the next few weeks and see if we will, how long we will do this. But we are now doing one service that blends and honors all the traditions of First Church which on the surface may sound uh, messy and like a blended mess. Uh, I, I know there's that argument. However, what we are finding is that it's also an opportunity to honor each tradition of the church. And in this time when people are seeking connection, it gives all of our folks the same worship experience. And so we are finding that to be really important right now that that's more important than you know, letting everybody worship in their stream, as it were. We're letting everyone be in the same stream. And even though that's different, there seems so far to be appreciation for that. But we'll continue to experiment and moving forward, that may not be the case in a few weeks, but it is where we are right now. That's awesome. And, and I have uh, both, my wife and I have had the privilege of worshiping in both of your congregations. Uh, and um, so I can attest to the authenticity, the integrity, the, the, the personal touches that you're bringing um, into this, into this, into the living room. You know, you, you're creating kind of a worship with God in the living room experience, which I find very comfortable, um, very familiar, and all, all of that. So uh, I just thank you for the work that you're doing. And, and your styles are different, but both of them very impactful. Are you still, in, in the early days of this, there was this rapid innovation as people who were not doing this had to quickly get up to speed. And those who were doing it on a regular basis found themselves having to, to, to innovate quickly too. Is that innovation still happening on a week to week basis? Is, is that curve slowing down a little bit or are you still finding yourself thinking about things you wanna do differently? Yeah, I can, I can respond to that. First of all, it's, it's interesting you say that Gary. I would say for the first time since this all began, even though it's only been four, five, six weeks, just in the last week or two, I would say we've just started to feel, if I can use the word rhythm, <laughs> in this okay. process of what a normal week looks like. I say that because the first couple of weeks were so filled with a sense of urgency just to get it done. There could not be an over uh, large amount of thinking, analyzing, continued innovation. It was more like pull this off. However, in the last few weeks, we're actually starting to find a little bit more margin 
which is allowing us to continue to innovate. So for example, I already mentioned the one worship experience. That, that's an, that was a shift for us and some innovation of what that looks like. We are now starting to try to figure, it, it's becoming very important to us in this process. Empowerment and engagement are key. And so for us, we don't want it to be just the staff that you see every Sunday morning. So we are increasingly trying to figure out how do we involve more laity, the rest of the congregation. And we're trying to do that in a variety of ways. It could be a number of our folks reading the scripture passage on a given week. It could be people sending in pictures of them worshiping in their homes and we show that during the offering just so we can see each other's faces. Uh, I was talking with one individual who said about their children lighting candles as an acolyte moment in the home. Uh, all of these kinds of things are ways that we're starting to try to figure out how do we, to use your word, innovate around increasing the laity more in this experience because worship is ultimately of and with the people. And so we want to be real careful that it's not just a staff-driven mm -hmm. uh, consumeristic experience, but how do we engage each other? So we're looking more in that direction now. Awesome. That's good. Thank you so much for that. Chris, innovating? Yeah, I think that um, for us, uh, maybe a little different than Matt, um, I kind of right away, I think we got in a rhythm like the first couple of weeks. We kind of figured out this is what we can do. Um, and maybe because it's kind of a smaller scale for us. And then we were able to uh, start thinking. So we thought about some creative elements for Easter, but even um, so April 26th uh, is our one year anniversary of a church. And so how do we kind of make that a big celebration for us and, and kind of uh, bring in different elements? Um, we, we too like Matt and First Church of, of finding ways for people to engage in worship. And so uh, one thing that we're doing is inviting people to pray in their homes uh, and pray for our community and our church and then to share that as part of our live stream on Sunday as well to have different people and different elements. Um, I think one thing that we are doing is after the service, trying to find ways to engage because uh, really for us, Facebook and YouTube, it's very uh, one way. And so we're trying to, uh, every week after the service, we have a Zoom call. Uh, we invite those who are part of worship or those who are part of our churches to engage in some community and fellowship. And uh, that, that's a part of our ethic as a church of every week after our service to have gathering and to have community. And so trying to foster that uh, online um, as well. Um, and in planning ways about like lighting and, and different space elements. And for a long time, we were up against a, a gray wall. And so now how are we kind of finding different kind of aesthetically pleasing uh, spots to uh, just to have shots. Um, but I think, uh, uh, and I think we'll get there is we, we're trying to also think about engagement throughout the week and different ways um, outside of Sunday. And so we're trying to find some spots uh, and ways to innovate on Sunday, but we want to stay raw. And that's probably an element of us. We're raw. Uh, there'll probably be glitches because uh, that's what it looks like on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so we're just trying to actually name that and invite people to kind of embrace the rawness of the journey um, as they're sitting on their couch drinking a cup of coffee uh, in their pajamas. And so that's kind of um, our experience. Well, and you know, and, and the journey is a new church. Um, not that you are new pastors. You've been pastoring for quite a while, but this is, this is a new emerging experience. Matt, you've been at... Uh, how many years now? Have you been there for how many years have you been at First United Methodist Church in Wingsport as pastor? This, this is my ninth year at First Church. Okay, so you've been there nine years, one year. Um, so I think it's important for people to hear that you don't have to be someplace for a long, long time in order to pull this off. You can you can do it on the fly, and a lot of people are doing that. Uh, just for the self, this 
for self-disclosure kinds of things, what was the biggest mess or the, the a mistake that you made early on in this that would be helpful for people to hear that, oh, they're human and, and uh, they don't have it all perfect either? Deb. <laughs> I can just share the behind the scenes. Uh, we can't help but laugh, right? So I'm at home running the live chat and free recording. And so right before the service and even during the service, I'm sending messages to our tech person saying, I'm watching this on Facebook and I can't hear the person singing. And <laughs> that person has their mic off and I'm on the phone hearing the chaos going on of Oh no, the live stream isn't working. Okay, we have to shut that down and restart it. So it's it's wonderful chaos. <laughs> yeah, even on Easter, like minutes before the service, our live stream was not working. It was just not. Uh, and and it was and, and so there was a sense of panic. I remember our worship leader started praying and I said, Danny, keep praying. Like, don't stop. And there was just a sense of like, this isn't gonna, this is Easter. We're gonna mess up our first Easter at the journey. Because uh, even the week before, uh, we were having some video problems. And so during Deb's sermon, it was so pixelated. And, and so uh, it was like the first thing the next morning, we just had to figure out, okay, what's, what's the new way? And so we had to figure out a new way to live stream. And so it wasn't working and we had to quickly make a, a, a pivot, as the word Matt would say, um, just because it, it, was, it was not, people were disengaging because of the quality. Right. It's raw, but we still want it to be an excellent worship for people to engage with God. And so we're trying to also hold those two intention. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, my experience um, in worship with you all uh, this past Sunday was um, great, cam great camera work. It seemed from, from all the ones that I've been seeing, probably one of the more polished. Hmm. Um, so let us in behind the scenes. What, what's been a mess? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, well, one of the first things I would say, it, I'll lift up two things. One is uh, when we first started, like I remember for week one, it wasn't so much mess in terms of what actually happened on Sunday morning. Like I think if we'd have been what Chris just described, on, I'm not, I don't know that I'd be talking with you all today. Like I'd have probably had a heart attack and not made it through. So um, I, I just, I want to confess that. Uh, but I think early on, one of the messes in my mind that I was seeking, that I was almost pushing us to was like the first week before we had done this, all I could think was we have to offer as similar an experience in this new reality as what we have in the old reality. And in pushing that so hard I, in my mind, like I wasn't accounting for the fact that people aren't even going to expect it to be exactly the same. Like this is a new world. Why would we expect it to look exactly the same now as what we did weeks ago? So I think for me, like I'm pushing our staff and myself and I'm putting really all these false expectations out there that I think for me, that was more of the messiness, the, the, the ideological messiness of it all, of, of just this transposing from pre pandemic to current pandemic. And that, that was just wrong. Uh, that was not good. That was not helpful. And then I think along with some of the physical messiness that Chris and Deb were referring to, um, I just have to get used to the fact that mistakes are okay. Um, and you know, people, I think in this time, one of the, the blessings I feel like is that we've been given more grace than what we normally are. I think people have surprised me with their willingness to say, um, uh, it's okay. Like, we're just glad that you're trying to do something that we can connect with you on. Like that alone, there's so much appreciation for that. Yes, we want to offer the best experience we can, but 
even more important, I think people are just like, thank you for trying. And we know that you're adjusting like everyone else. So that was more on my end of just needing to shift my mindset. I will also share this too. I think for our staff as a whole, uh, you know, there's just, I won't say there was a feeling of panic at the beginning, but I especially felt like, what are we going to get, what are we going to do? And we have to set a direction and we got to move. Well, in doing that, if I'm not careful, I don't give everyone else space to, to talk as well and for us to figure that out together. So there was also some messiness that way of like us figuring out like just how do we do this as a group and quickly and with clarity. If you'd have been in some of our gatherings, like our staff meetings and leadership team meeting, you'd have seen mess. <laughs> well, that, and I think that's, I think it's helpful for everybody to hear that. Um, because there is a misnomer out there that, you know, some people are just more predisposed to pulling it off and doing it well and, and having no anxiety at all. And I think to lead in any respect right now in this, in this crisis as a non-anxious presence is a real challenge. And, and I can see where the anxiety immediately would have come, first of all, from the worship thing. So worship wasn't the only thing that was impacted by COVID-19. I mean, daycare, Sunday schools, small groups, food banks, community resourcing, all of these things had to shift as well. Um, talk about how you and your church have navigated also through these changes of all the other ministries of the church beyond Sunday morning. Yeah, let me, let me just say to that very quickly too, Gary, I, I wanna be clear in anything that we're sharing or I'm sharing today, just some of the ongoing messiness is that we don't have it all figured out. Like, I don't want in any way to sound like, hey, boy, those were three or four tough weeks, but now we made it and now we're okay. Like every day is a mess. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. Thank every, you for that. <laughs> every day is figuring this out. So to your question about how did we you know, make some of these pivots and what are we doing now? it's been hard to actually define the consistent things because part of what we're doing is to say to everyone, be empowered to experiment in your respective ministry areas. In doing that though, we all have to have enough clarity to know what direction we're moving in. So I think for me, that's the rub. We wanna have enough clarity that we're aligned and moving in a similar direction, but there's enough decentralization and empowerment that folks can feel like they can go in whatever direction they need to. Uh, so for us, just to answer your question, I'd say it this way. We've kind of been looking at it in two phases. Phase one was get through the immediate crunch of a new pandemic world. And for lack of a better term, the, the strategy we've used on that is we've, we've said we're going to communicate, we're going to connect, and we're going to offer clarity. So if we communicate regularly, that should offer a sense for people to connect with each other and with God. And that should offer clarity on anything that we're doing. So communicate, connect, clarity. Those, those have been the three C's that have kind of been guiding us. Underneath that, then, we have tried to say to our staff or to ministry leaders, you, you know your area of ministry the best. You know the challenges that are now before us. We're moving to this digital world. Uh, go to it. Uh, innovate, shift, pivot, do what you need to do, and experiment. Awesome. And as a result of that, that's what's allowing us to try some new things. Great, thank you for that. So other, Chris and Deb, I, you know, I, I know part of the journeys, you really kind of started as an outside-in congregation. It, from the very beginning, it was about the community around you and, and what was happening there. How, does, how, do, how do your ministries, other than worship, what do they look like now in this? Because I know that you're, you're also innovating some of those things. 
Yeah, I, that's a great question, uh, Gary. And I think it was really helpful, maybe the second week um, of the pandemic. I spent some time uh, on my whiteboard just saying, what's not gonna change in this season? Uh, and what are the priorities? And just, I think I need to lay it out. And, and then I shared it kind of with our team, with our staff to say, here's what's, so for us, it was very clear, like things aren't gonna change. Like our mission and vision isn't gonna change. We're gonna continue to love our neighbors and connect new people to Jesus, but we have to figure out how to do that differently. Core spiritual practice, we're still gonna talk about that and that's still gonna be essential. Or connection as a church and a staff is gonna maintain. Jesus is still in control. And ultimately the last one, which kind of goes to this, our ability to embrace and celebrate change is going to, is that not going to change? We're going to continue to be a nimble, flexible church, and we're going to continue to be nimbleness um, uh, through this entire process. And so our priorities, right? We've highlighted kind of a social engage, uh, social media engagement. And so um, every day uh, there's something happening. Um, and even we've been innovating throughout that, right? And so we kind of just launched this past week, what we're calling expert opinion, kind of a Sunday night webinar series. And, and, and our lineup in May is pretty impressive. I'm pretty excited. A college president, uh, our local uh, city mayor is going to join us, some local theologians, um, some medical professionals, um, uh, uh, some people with the me uh, media and politics. And so I think we're just wanting to figure out how can we as a church step outside of kind of the Christian bubble and how can we continue to resource and engage in conversation with our larger community? And so if we, we are focused, um, and, and Deb is doing a great job at focusing internal with some discipleship elements and some virtual Bible studies, but I think we're also trying to think about our larger community and how can we be a voice and, and a spot. Um, and so even some of these conversations that we're gonna have, faith might not be a part of the conversation, uh, but we, we wanna show that we can still engage in some really important conversations. So I think that's happening um, as well. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk in a moment, I'm, I'm leading us toward some of what you're talking about now in terms of that community engagement. Sure. Uh, but I wanna stay with us a little bit. I wanna hear from Deb in terms of some of the internal ministries you talked about in terms of discipleship and small groups and all that. Uh, Deb, how is that changing? Yeah, so um, I think one thing that was really a benefit um, in our discipleship pathway, there were already virtual classes offered uh, as well as in person. So anything that was offered in person was offered virtual as well. And so the virtual remained. Uh, and so that that was really helpful. It was it just kind of kept going as scheduled. But what I noticed was pushing it out through social media, a lot of people wanted to get in on that. And even if they weren't regular, that that worked out. Um, so that was happening. There were other uh, journey groups happening that were more sermon-based topics. And so there was a shift to how do we allow people to do almost like an at-home study for this. And so that meant making some YouTube video resources and then having other printouts available on the website so they could do like a self-study through what they'd normally do in a group. Um, there are people who do not have social media, who do not have access to live sermons. Now, we are in one sense um, very different than a lot of churches where we can count on one hand the number of people in our congregation who do not have that access. And so that became really important just for phone calls. I think we cannot overlook the importance of picking up the phone, whether that is the pastors doing that or whether it's activating people. We have some people, and I think every church does, who want to be able to help while they're at home. And they're stressing out because they don't know how to help. And so it's pick up your phone, call someone. That is helping more than you know. Uh, so we did have to do some things like mailings. Um, 
uh, one group I was doing was called Journey with Jesus. It's a walk through the gospels and they had devotion readings. And so that was shifted slightly to create a devotion packet that could then be mailed out to people so they could do the same study, but at home. Right. But, and you know, you're bringing up something that I think is important. Um, you know, the majority of the churches in this annual conference, like many annual conferences in our connection, are small member, small member or rural churches. And um, one of the things we're gonna be doing in a future podcast is talking with those congregations about the impact of all of this on them as well. And I think part of the challenge is the, the lack of connectivity, um, the not having access to the internet in a strong way. Uh, and what I'm hearing from those churches is one of the things that, that small churches and rural churches already have on us is they are highly relational and highly connected. And I think the mailings and the phone calls, um, I, I talked to one church who said the expectation or the challenge has been for each member of their small church to be responsible for regularly contacting 10 other people and maintaining a link of support and encouragement. And if there's a need for food, then they take the responsibility of organizing within that circle of 10, how do we provide food for this person who's struggling? And in its, in its simplest form, I think ministry in the new world is going to just be about, at the heart of it, relationships and how we increase, and how we increase that. So um, we're going to move on here. But I just want to say in the middle of this podcast, we're about halfway through with it. Um, I am Gary Shockley, and I'm on our first podcast. And in this podcast, talking with pastors Chris Sledge and Deb Port from The Journey, one of our newest United Methodist Church communities in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and also with Dr. Reverend Dr. Matt Lake from First United Methodist Church in Williamsport. He's been there 12 years, so he's one of our seasoned leaders and doing an incredible job. And we're talking about how we make meaningful connections between church and community during this viral pandemic. Um, Phyllis Tickler, in her book, and I ought to get royalties for as often as I mention her, uh, she's deceased now, but her inherited her her family would probably welcome that. But in her book, The Great Emergence, she wrote about the cyclical nature and how the church does its work down through the ages. And I remember her writing that every 500 years or so, the church has a yard sale where everything near and dear to us and how we practice and participate in ministry is hauled out to the driveway and taken away means that the church, when it's in this cyclical part of its life, has to decide, and right now I think we are forced to decide, what goes in and what goes on in our present form of ministry and also the future. Um, do you think Phyllis is right? I think yes. Uh, and I even have to say, Gary, we're just a year-old church, and I think there's stuff that we need to put out for a yard sale, right? And that even I think we were so intentional over our first year around building a strong culture, but I think there were some ways of like that some things need to be stripped. And what I love about this season is that like everything that we could hold firm to has been stripped away. Um, and, and that this has been a real defining time for us and that, and kind of the way I like to think about like, what is, what is the foundation of what our work is? And I think maybe we've spent so much time kind of being distracted or talking about other things, but like, what, what does it really mean to be a, a church? What does it really mean to be a person who's following after Jesus? 
and maybe going back to the basics. And so I even love for us as a one-year-old church that we, we have the privilege of redefining and re-clarifying that. And I hope that we can, like, I hope that's part of our DNA, right? Like that, that we don't have to wait for another global pandemic, but, but that, that that's kind of part of even a year in that that's part of our work. So maybe we've just been, we've been reluctant to participate in the yard sale that's really been going on for a long, long time. Right, we're hoarders, right? <laughs> like we like to hold on to our cherished belongings and things that we've always known. And, and there's a sense of comfort in that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a sense of, are we willing to be uncomfortable uh, and, and really face some hard questions? I mean, honestly, none of us really want to, um, but, but this time is forcing us to, to do that. So, so, so Deb, I'll put you on the spot here. Of all the things that are being hauled off, um, into the driveway in the journey uh, in this yard sale. What what do you think has been the most difficult or will be the most difficult thing to let go of? Way to put me on the spot, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, I think that one of the really nice things is we have decided all along and it's been part of our talk that we're gonna take risks and we're gonna decide quickly if something's not working, don't hold on to it, throw it out. So I don't know that there's anything I'm dreading getting rid of. Um, and I think the comfort in anything that goes is the underlying important message of Jesus does not change. And so as long as that stays the same, everything else should always be changing because we've always got to be looking to how do we communicate the most important thing to people in changing situations. And really, I think a great gauge on that is if something is not working in this time, it's not going to work at all. And so if something, if we are holding on to something and it doesn't bring new people to Jesus, why are we holding on to it? So there has to be a quicker willingness on our parts to um, kind of go through life uh, with, our, with our hands open so that God is placing things in our hands for such a time as this but knowing that they, they also need to be released. And so we can no longer go through with our hands clenched. Matt, what do you think? I mean, I, I think for us, and I wanna say this carefully, but I think, I think the loss of the building and facilities is a big one. And I, I say that because I really do not believe that most of the folks that worship at First Church are quote unquote in love with the building. But what the building does allow is for us to gather uh, to see each other face to face, to be with one another. Uh, there is a deep longing right now for us to be able to find ways to do that. Um, the fact that we can't gather in our facilities to do that is incredibly difficult. I think ministry-wise, maybe one of the most difficult things is, the, for lack of a better term, the, the, the loss of our programming. Mm -hmm. First Church is strong on programming, uh, but moving into the future, I don't know how much effect programming will have. Um, you know, the, the essence of discipleship is that incarnational element of loving and serving our neighbors in tangible ways to share the love of Christ and laying our lives down in a certain lifestyle. Those things do not come about strictly through programming. So we can learn mentally in, in, in discipleship, but living it out then is quite different. And so being forced almost overnight to say, set your programs aside and figure out incarnationally with your neighbor in a socially distant world, how to live and be that that's, there's a, there's a lot of loss and searching in the midst of that. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, thank you. I, I appreciate your observations on that. Um, 
perhaps one of the greatest challenges to the church right now in this viral pandemic, um, certainly worship and how we continue our programming or how we continue other aspects of ministry. Um, but I think one of the greatest challenges is how do we how do we continue to stay connected in helping ways in our community? You know, we've been used to being able to set up food banks and and go to places in order to do good things, um, works of, of generosity uh, and mercy and grace. Um, what kinds of things should we be doing? Um, what kinds of things um, can we be doing to offer love, support, and hope to our neighbors? Sure. Yes, Deb. So um, I think underneath everything that we do for our community is love and relationships. And so that doesn't have to go away. And so I'll just share a couple things that I see that are working. It doesn't mean it will work everywhere. So as a parent, one thing I knew right away is I was going to go crazy at home with four kids. And I knew there were other parents struggling as well. So even just looking at, I, I set up a Facebook group and it, it's not necessarily even faith-based, right? It's just parenting through social distancing, a support group where parents can go and they can say, I'm going crazy today, or what day of the week is it? Or I don't know how to teach math to my kid and sharing in resources. And so there are relationships that are forming in places like that. We have another one that is more uh, geographic, Journey Community Connections, that's an open group. So using social media groups, but I also had um, for Easter, uh, the awesome thing was this idea came from my neighbor who doesn't even go to our church, who said, I saw something and wouldn't it be awesome if everyone in the neighborhood went outside at nine o'clock in the morning and sang Amazing Grace. <laughs> so I brought it to staff meeting. And so what happened is I, I just kind of put it out there. Uh, my neighbor made flyers when we were walking the dog. We delivered it to neighbors, uh, other people in other communities from our church passed out flyers. I think there were like 400 flyers that went out. It, just from my front porch, I counted 21 people who were singing Amazing Grace. It was just a really cool thing, forming relationships without saying, hey, you have to come to this building first, right. which I thought was awesome. Absolutely. Um, Matt, I think in, my, in a conversation I had with you, you were doing some pretty creative things. I think it was with you as it relates to the hospitals or medical persons of how to be connected there. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, for me, in trying to think about how do we connect with the community, my tendency wrongly is for Matt to step back and say, what does the community need? And, and almost put this pressure on myself of figuring out what that has to be. And one of the things that's been really helpful and freeing for me is, A, I don't have to figure that out, and B, I should not figure that out. It would be way better for me to stop and listen mm -hmm. and ask questions of others in our community and let them then tell me, which then guides me. So letting the pain points that I hear shared with me, letting those be a guide is a way forward. Not only does that give me clarity, but it also removes a lot of pressure from my shoulders and I'm not seeking to meet needs that are artificial. So in doing that, we are, we're fortunate here to have some connections in our community. And so three individuals that I sought out just to ask questions were one was the head of our hospital system, two is our mayor, and three was the, the gentleman who is in charge of our EMT services. And I literally just said, what are your greatest needs? And is there anything, any way we as a church and faith community can be helpful? 
and it was shocking to me. I think I was somehow expecting super complex responses that we would never be able to respond to. The, response, the responses I got instead were things like from the head of our hospital system, uh, you know, uh, our, our, our frontline workers, our nurses, just shows of appreciation mean the world to them. So something even like, I think some folks had put some thank yous on the cards of employees. And he said that just brought them to tears when they encountered that. Uh, does somebody in your, your faith community have a connection with a nurse who might work on a floor in the hospital? What would it look like to adopt that floor in the hospital and send them you know, care packages of sweet snacks, salty snacks, tissues, and hand sanitizer, and a thank you, and just send it their way. Uh, we've had life groups that have started to put some of those things together and deliver. Um, they were incredibly uh, clear that prayer means a lot to them, and so would we pray for them? And they gave us specific ways to do that. Uh, thank yous in yards. Uh, I mean, and all of these things just meant the world to them. And then like with, our, with the EMT person, he said, you know, one of the things we could really use right now, sanitizer is like gold and we keep running out. Well, it just so happened, we had a fair amount on hand in all of our facilities, but we're not using our facilities right now. So we said, what would it look like to give them our hand sanitizer? Because we don't really need it. And we gave them almost all of what we have. Oh my goodness, like the response, we got a letter of thanks from them, the appreciation, Some, but it was small, but it was, but not insignificant. And my point in all of that is, they shared the needs with us and then hey maybe there's actually a way we can respond that's meaningful to them so and what you're suggesting is something that any church of any size in any setting could do absolutely because it starts with the question what do you need not here's what we can provide but what do you need absolutely yes and then matching matching resources i think of the rural churches that i serve who had the most incredible cooks and bakers on the planet and how in times of crises, nothing like this, when there was a need, they baked things for the volunteer fire department and the volunteer ambulance department. And um, you know, for other organizations that were struggling in the community, it was, it was a tangible way they could personally get involved. Um, I really, I, these are great ideas. Chris, do you have anything you wanna add? Yeah, just a few items. Um, and I just really appreciated the language that Matt used around kind of partnership and so kind of, yeah. I have like kind of two thoughts. Like one is like, we realize that we don't have to do everything as a church. And so from day one, we've been very clear that we don't have to be the next social service in the community, but how do we leverage our people and our assets to be supporter? And so um, we recognize in our city that food insecurity was pretty significant in light of um, the global pandemic. Schools, at least in our city, in Harrisburg, all students get free lunch, no matter income level, that's just kind of across the board. And so with more children at home, there's a food insecurity that kids will be guaranteed. So uh, on numerous occasions that we've been at our schools helping just hand out food. Again, it's not us, we're just helping uh, be uh, supporters of what our school district is trying to do. And so uh, we were there yesterday um, and on Fridays, there's a nonprofit. Um, and, and what I love about this story is I just texted someone and said, hey, maybe like Matt, um, hey, what do you need from us? Like we're wanting to be helpful. Uh, what do you need? And he said, if you can bring a dozen people or half a dozen people every Friday just to help distribute food to the homeless, that would be really helpful because they had to move their facility outdoor and, and with new social distancing rules. And so every Friday, the journey shows up at a random spot on Hummel Street downtown uh, and just help support. And so again, we're not, we're not doing anything like we're not using our building. We're not even using 
uh, it th doesn't cost us a thing, but merely time, just a partner. And so that's happening, but also there's been an organic sense, uh, which has actually surprised me, um, of just people from our church, uh, probably among multiple churches are doing this. They're just, they want to love their neighbors. And so when I, when I call someone from our church and saying, hey, do you need anything? And they're like, oh, this person's already checked in and brought me food. And it's like, that, that's been, I think, powerful. And so we've just continually just uh, encouraged our church to say, y'all are bright and creative like think about it and then, and then do it, right? We don't have to be the ones to orchestrate it all, but we can just help remind people to do it. And, and, and maybe the final thing is like, I think Gen Zers have figured out connection virtually uh, that we can uh, learn from. And so we're just trying to leverage of how to help people that you can build community using technology, right? Uh, our young people have done that and, they, and they've succeeded. And so for us, like a, a virtual game night on Saturdays, again, young people are doing this. And so how can we just help um, those of us who aren't naturally inclined to do that? Like, oh, wow, we can find community in the midst of the global pandemic. Uh, right. We just have to kind of go beyond our normal framework. And, and so those have been some kind of thoughts that, that we've been doing to kind of be involved with our community. That's great. So when churches, whether it's pastors or laypersons, call the conference center to talk to equip or grow or connect, oftentimes the questions are, uh, what, sh what, can, what should we be doing? What can we be doing in order to um, build, build, build better bridges to our community? And it's usually, you know, is there a book that we should be studying? Is there a program that we should be learning about? Is there something else that we need to do? And it almost starts out as being an overcomplicated kind of equation because we think that the magic bullet is going to be painful and really, really hard and not many people are going to want to do it. But what I'm hearing from you is encouraging. <laughs> because it's not really that hard. So, so you're on the phone and somebody calls and says, hey, Chris or Matt or, or Deb, uh, my church is really struggling to make a connection with the community. The first thing that you would say to them is what? So I just put you on the spot again. So your answer to them, if they were to say, what's the most important thing I should do in order to um, build a bridge to my community? Yeah, I would, I would say listen. Great. Listen to others, listen to the spirit, put them together and go. But it all like begins with listening for me. Great. I would say, I would ask a question. I would say, who's in your existing circle? I think you're always thinking of, oh man, like I got to get to know the whole city. Okay. Who do you already know? You know, how can you be kind to that person today? How can you check in with them? It, we make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we often make it top down. Uh, and so like the church has to be the one to, to solve the problem for everyone. And I think it's just, again, maybe asking your, your people in the church, hey, what, what do you know of a need? And then how can we help you just do that? Or just right. call up someone in, in the city and just say, what do you need? And can I show up or can I bring you or can I do? Like, um, yeah. And if I could just add to that, because I think Chris is exactly right on that. Uh, not just top down of how the church answers the city's needs, but even in our churches as ministry leaders. I know, again, I put a pressure on myself to have to offer. I just want to say to you, some of our best things that are happening in the community right now did not come from any of our quote unquote ministry leaders. One example is we have two food distributions each week. We had one of our laity come to us and say, if we have any food left over, how about we take that to the emergency room workers and give it to them? awesome like it, like it has been such a blessing we didn't come up with that one of our congregants congregants did and then secondly at the other food distribution 
uh, we had one of our lady contact us and say, hey, I have a connection with our local children's library. The children's library is trying to figure out how to serve in the community. They heard you guys do a food distribution. Would it be possible to maybe partner and see if there's a way they, they might want to come that while you're handing out food, they might want to hand out books, children's books to families who could use it. Could we look at that? I think those are amazing possibilities. I didn't come up with any of them. Our ministry leaders didn't come up with any of them. Our, our church folks did. And I, so I just would really affirm what Chris is lifting up there. That's awesome. It always goes better when it's somebody else's idea anyway, you know, and when people in the grassroots who are out there in the world are taking advantage of opportunities for ministry. Yeah. So when we get to the other side of this, um, COVID-19 thing and all the medical people and scientists are saying that's not going to happen relatively soon and it might become more like a seasonal flu where we're going to be living with this forever uh, but trying to find a way to manage it. What are you doing now that, that you want to continue? You want to carry forward in this new world? It's a little bit back to this Phil's tickle question but as you're looking at the landscape of ministry today, what do you want to make sure when, when we rush back to normalcy, whatever that is, and when this immediacy is ended and things are, people are back and maybe repopulating our churches, um, what do you want to make sure that continues in this? And then the other question that I'll follow up with is, what, what are some of the activities and events and behaviors prior to this pandemic that you, would, that you think the church ought to just let go of? So that's a two-parter. What's going to stay if you had your way? What's going to stay? And what do you think ought to just go and be left gone? I think for me, uh, I, I was really challenged and I appreciated. Len Sweet says that if you look at the life of Jesus, and I think there's a good example at the end of Matthew chapter four, Jesus is described as teacher, preacher, and healer. And Sweet makes the observation that the church historically has done probably a pretty good job teaching and a pretty good job preaching, but it's not done a good job of healing. Mm -hmm. And I think the church has an amazing opportunity right now to offer healing. And it can happen in miraculous ways. I mean, God can do anything. However, I think it's, you know, how do we help bring healing in a time where people are financially fragile, emotionally fragile, mentally fragile, physically fragile? I think the church has a tremendous opportunity in the life of Christ to offer that healing. And so for me, one of the things that I hope stays is, is not only learning how to heal, but living more fully into it. And I think one of the ways that happens, one of the blessings I think that's coming out of this time is what I would call an increased localization. So people are being forced to be in their homes, but here's what's interesting in that to me. Because of that, you know, I'm seeing like, everybody's neighborhood is different. But if you think of the 10 closest homes to you, whether that's around the block or whatever radius it is, people more now than in recent times are taking a walk every day, uh, walking their dogs more because we don't have anything else to do, which means we're all starting to cross paths in a socially distant way, of course, more frequently than what we were. What would it look like for each one of us to view ourselves as the pastor of our block? The, the, the missionary, the good neighbor of our block, simply to love and get to know our neighbors and where they are, like in that super localized way. And I think if we are willing to do that, we can offer healing and share the love of Christ, not just with words, but with actions. 
So for me, I think that we're just starting to move into that, but I really hope not only do we not lose it, I hope we live full force into it in the days ahead. I like that. So that's something that we are learning. And I see it in my neighborhood. I'm looking out the window and people are, I mean, I've met all kinds of new neighbors and one of them came across the street the other day and stuck his hand out to shake it at, while I was mowing my lawn. And I jumped back and I went, yeah. and he said, well, he said, well, we don't have anybody who has that in our neighborhood. And I said, well, I did. And then he jumped back about three feet. But you're right. That is a new thing that we're seeing. Um, Chris or Deb, what, what do you want to see go forward? What I really appreciate around this time is that we're doing less so that we can do more. Hmm. And I just think there's something powerful about how do we, we've made, I think, church and ministry and faith so complex at times that I'm inspired by even just what you, Gary and Matt, were just saying about the simplicity of just being neighborhood missionaries or neighborhood pastors. But even from the church, I think we, we place so much expectation about come to the church for this thing, this, this moment. And so we, I think, facilitate um, the, the increased activity of people's lives instead of simply being a disciple in everyday life. And so I, I, that's one thing I, I want to really hold on to is how even can we simplify discipleship, simplify worship, simplify kind of our community uh, engagement um, and, and, and really kind of uphold that. And I, and I think I want to let go of this mentality that the church always has to have the answer that the church always has to provide everything for faith, but just to really help engage and invite people to really become deep disciples on their own uh, and then to live it out in their own unique expressions in their own unique incarnational communities um, rather than always having to be facilitated in our church, in our building, within, within this, with even, even within these people, uh, but rather kind of, kind of sharing the going and even our online presence. I think that's as I would, and I think it would be behoove us of just to kind of when this is all over is to kind of end all of our even extra things that we've added to our social media communication platform. I think that has to maintain or even increase um, in, in the next season. Uh, that's really become our huge front door and, and that has to make, uh, continue. Great. So Deb, what, what, uh, what goes forward? What needs to end? Yeah, so I think um, I would definitely agree with everything uh, Matt and Chris have said, but it, it's really about activating as disciples where we are. Um, and so, and understanding as well, God has gifted us all differently. And so it's not something that I see people, uh, we don't create a manual for it. We don't say, here's your five steps to engage with your neighbors, but to recognize God created each of us differently and that we all even do relationships differently. And how can we fully live into that and appreciate the way God has created us? It takes all of us together to do this. I would say uh, there can no longer be death by meetings. It can't happen. I mean, we can no longer just sit around and talk about everything that needs to be done and and how we're going to, it, it turns out just being self-serving and we don't do anything. And so anything I would say that has become self-serving and isn't about telling other people about Jesus can't happen anymore. Mm, thank you. And, uh, you know, you're touching on some stuff that I want to kind of uh, finish our podcast with. And um, you weren't privy to the question in the way that I'm going to form it, but I think you'll understand where it's coming from. Um, one of the, one of the, real concerns that I have in this time is how well our leaders are able to cope with the stresses and changes that have just come flying at all of them um, from every direction at 100 miles an hour. And, and I do, I am privileged from the seat that I sit in to see a wide view of some of our clergy colleagues in particular who are really struggling under this, uh, almost to a breaking point. And, 
you know, we're all privileged, everybody in this podcast right now, of having staff persons that we that we can rely on and bounce things off of and, and kind of support one another. Um, that's pretty unique within our annual conference and in most conferences, it's you're it and it all falls on you. Um, so I'm how are you doing personally and how are you what what are you doing in order to make sure that you are staying well is there one thing that you're practicing that is helping you to stay grounded i think for me the the biggest thing is especially over the last month month and a half just a new rhythm that i have begun to live into i don't know if it'll stay this way forever but just to give you an example my my day off throughout my ministry career has always been Mondays. Um, but in this time, there are so many things now that need front end loaded that, that Mondays are just super busy. So Fridays have become a day off for me. And, um, and we've gotten into some new rhythms as a family that have been really wonderful and really restorative. Um, so a, there's a new weekly rhythm. And then the other piece is um, a daily rhythm where I, I, I'm just taking a break, whatever the day looks like, usually mid-afternoon to just literally walk away from everything because in this digital world I, I know we knew this before but the it never ends there is always another email to respond to another birthday to affirm another prayer request to follow up on another communication piece to send out so unless i intentionally set it all aside and walk away it becomes overwhelming um, and so that that would probably be the single biggest thing of just taking concrete breaks in a new rhythm that lets me both reconnect with God, but also de de disconnect <laughs> from all that other stuff. Great. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. I think the thing that is saving my life right now, um, two things that happen every night. I have dinner with my wife, Hannah. I've had dinner with her every single night for the last seven weeks. And that has never happened in our entire marriage. And so there is something really beautiful about every night making dinner together and eating at our table together uh, that I think is saving just our relationship to maybe like Matt to get away from a computer, to get away from notifications and all of those things, but just to do that and, and then to go on an evening walk most nights. Um, and, and for us, it's along the river of Susquehanna, which is just beautiful. And so there's just something about that. And, um, I'm not sure I ever knew how busy that we were, that we weren't eating together. And so there's just something for us profound in just breaking bread and making it together and praying together at dinner. It just has been a huge lifesaver um, outside of ministry, just even for a restoration of Chris and Hannah and even our marriage together. That's great. Thank you. Do you want to share anything, Deb? Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple things. So my husband is an essential worker. So I am here most of the time by myself. Yeah, And we're also dealing with uh, trying to get his employees uh, protective equipment, which is very hard to find. So there's just a whole other added element to that. Um, and so I think we all know how to preach grace, but we're not very good at accepting grace. And so I think in this time as leaders, to allow grace for ourselves is really important. And so with four kids running around, uh, I could either panic constantly about everything that's not getting done, about not being able to give 100% anywhere, or I could say, you know what, right now I'm going to choose just to play with my kids. 
And right now I'm gonna choose this quiet moment to get some work done or just to stay quiet. So I have to make those things. And the one other thing I, I wanna comment on and just make sure we acknowledge, anytime there is major change in life, it puts us in a state of grief, whether we call it that or not. And so I think we have to acknowledge, especially for any leaders who are feeling alone and isolated, you are grieving. And um, we know how to sometimes counsel people who are grieving, but we have to be able to walk through that. And the other piece to expect with that, anytime there is major change or trauma, we don't just turn the switch back on. It is a process of re-engaging in every aspect of life. And so to accept grace, that that is not going to happen overnight, that even when we say, okay, we can go back to church, that is not the end of it. And if we ignore that, it's going to turn into a bigger problem. Absolutely. I, and I really appreciate you talking about the grief aspect because in an unprecedented way, every person on this planet is grieving something. Every one of us. We're, we're walking wounds. And I think to acknowledge that for ourselves and to be kind to ourselves, to say, this is why I'm feeling tired. This is why I'm, why I'm feeling this is why I'm feeling blue. Um, and it's, it is normal. But you're right, when grief moves from being a normal, normalized to something that is um, untenable is when we need to reach out and seek help from someone. And um, I'm hoping folks who listen to this podcast know that there, there are individuals who are leading this podcast who are willing to have conversations about that. Um, we've been talking about community engagement in a viral pandemic, and we've been focusing on the impact that has had and is having on our churches and how our churches are responding. And we've also veered into the lane of what it means for us to be leaders at su for such a time as this. And I just, I've accepted this a long time ago in my own life that the church will only be as vital as I am. And that's true of every member in a congregation. If you want your church to be vital, then you need to be vital. Uh, the church is not something that stands apart from who we are. It is who we are. And so one of the things that I'm learning in this time that, that helps in that as well, and you've articulated it so clearly, is our, is our pace and our focus, adjusting our pace to a present reality and even refocusing on the things that matter most and maybe being willing to let go of some things we've had to carry around that just aren't going to be as important in this new reality than they were beforehand and being okay with that. So before we go, I'm Gary Shockley, the Director of Equipping Vital Congregations. This is our very first podcast on UMCSEE. And uh, I've just been delighted to spend this time with our guests, Chris Sledge and Deb Port and Matt Lake. And I just want to thank you all for joining us in this inaugural podcast. Thank you so much for your insights and your, just your willingness to be able to share with us today. And I hope everyone listening to this will join us for our next podcast entitled Sleep, Pray, Love, The Journey of Self-Care. And that'll be hosted by Victoria Rebeck, who is our Director of Connecting Ministries. But for this day and for the future, may you be well. And may you stay together as part of your own community um, as you live your lives. Blessings, everybody. Thank you.